1: This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hi, this is David Rothkopf. Welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. Joining us from our tiny padded room deep beneath the Ministry of Snark in Washington, D.C., we have managing editor of the Lawfare blog, Susan Hennessy. We have Georgetown University Law School Associate Dean Rosa Brooks and out in California in the traditional hot tub preparing for her cage match with Graham Allison, the Thucydides (laughs) trap cage match uh, is Corey Shockey. Um, And we are here again to talk about the issues that trouble you in a way that will inspire you to make it home or finish your dinner or finish your workout or whatever is is you're doing while listening to our episode. This week there have been a variety of developments pertaining to the case of Donald Trump and his team and the Russians and collusion. Um, and I thought it would be a good point because we haven't talked about this in some depth to go into it in a little bit more depth. And part of the reason I thought it would be good is that here is Susan Hennessy, former attorney for the NSA the managing editor of the coolest blog, literally, the uh, right now. If you're a nerd and you are not following the Lawfare blog, you're not really a nerd. You're a loser. All deep state members read the Lawfare blog regularly. They know about Ben Wittes's, you know, tiny cannon.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, now right. famous uh, tiny cannon.
1: His now famous tiny that, cannon. That sounds very um,
3: insulting.
1: It's. He's proud of his tiny. Ben Wittes Rosa, is proud was of his tiny I was here
3: congratulating Ken. myself on my restraint
0: for not adding that element to our conversation.
3: Well, this just shows um, that, that so, I but, haven't read Lawfare in the, as recently as I should. But I, I will now. This is all constrained to Twitter, so you oh, are. Thank God. It okay.
1: Around. It's all. Constrained I like to keep to things I,
2: very highbrow on our pages. I think that's the best. Uh, yeah. you know the, the fun, fun and games, games I, occurs on Twitter. <laughs>
1: On your yeah. rational security blo- uh, podcast, which is a great podcast, also, do you make jokes about Ben's tiny cannon?
2: We, you know, we like to keep it out of the gutter. It's not like this deep state, you know. <laughs> well, uh, that's why they
3: call <laughs> us we're deep state. in a bunker. Yeah. We exactly, are way, uh, way down in we the make nothing. <laughs> not to speak of <laughs> <as a> silo.
0: <laughs> references Ressa, to classical literature. That was a literature. very subtle
2: escalation. <laughs>
1: Here we that's are. That's kind of
3: our niche. Our niche is, you know, the foreign policy podcast Deep. that's deepest in the gutter.
1: Deep, that is our niche. <laughs> that's why you're listening, folks. But let's let's elevate this a bit. We've got classy Susan Hennessy, now proud owner of a lemur here, <laughs> um, something I'm sure she's always dreamed of. Um, let's talk about the recent developments pertaining to. Don Jr., who I saw uh, equated on Twitter to the Fredo of the Trump crime family. (laughs) Um, Okay, I object uh, to that
0: characterization because I think the two sons together are most properly uh, assaulted on, uh, verbally assaulted on Twitter as Saddam Hussein's sons. He's the Uday,
1: really. Oh, Oh, nice. Yeah, so he's the Uday. Is that the idea? Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, okay, so Uday Trump, tell us what you think about all these recent developments.
2: So uh, uh, this has sort of landed with, I think this has caused people some. Um, perplexion uh, in terms of whether or not this is like the bombshell collusion story or not. Um, And a lot of the problem is because people still want to use the term collusion. Um, So the legal definition of collusion is something very, very narrow. It's um, it only applies to antitrust law. Basically, it's like price fixing. And doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about here. And people have been using this term collusion in order to describe some broader, illicit, nefarious sort of agreement or, uh, uh, or coordination that was occurring behind the scenes. So... I don't think that this, you know, the sort of reports that Trump Jr. met with uh, a Russian national who is um, uh, connected to the to the Kremlin or has ties to the Kremlin about potentially receiving, uh, you know, dirt on Hillary Clinton uh, in early June. I don't know that that there are facts there that you can sort of point to and say that's a crime. Maybe kind of if you're getting into the nitty gritty of campaign finance law. Um, but what this really does show is, is. It does two things. Um, one is it shows just the overall willingness on the part of the Trump campaign to accept, uh, you know, information from a hostile foreign adversary if they thought it benefited them. And that has all kinds of other ramifications about what occurred over the course of the campaign in general, why they thought this was appropriate and, and paired with sort of the, the things that occurred in plain sight really raises some very, very serious questions. It also does something on the legal front, and that's that it shifts the language that we should be talking about what occurred from these kind of colloquial terms like collusion and into specific terms, terms like conspiracy, solicitation, uh, accessory after the fact. So as we get like more specific allegations. I, I do think that this represents an, imp- an important turning point, not because it's the bombshell, you know, he's going to be impeached, everybody's going to jail, but because now we're, we're starting to see really, really specific allegations that get us into the realm of thinking about, well, what did he know at the time? Do you have the mens rea for, for specific criminal elements? And, and I do think that's a really, really important uh, evolution. And I think whenever we look back on wherever this investigation ends— This moment, both this and the Wall Street Journal's report um, regarding Peter Smith, a GOP sort of activist opposition researcher who sought help from a British intelligence or a former British intelligence uh, officer in essentially buying uh, Hillary Clinton's hacked emails or purported hacked emails from Russians, that this is going to – we're going to look back on this and, and recognize it as a turning point where we shifted the way we were talking about this from this sort of very very broad discussion into sort of a, a really really serious and specific conversation about specific crimes.
1: First of all, folks, if you heard her say mens Rhea, and you're not sure what that is, I would, oh, I would direct be happy you to, to the, define it for you. To, I would direct you to the, the definitive source on this, which is the movie Legally Blonde. Um, <laughs> which has, has which is has what we pretty... assign
3: to all of our first year law <laughs> students I actually at didn't Georgetown go to law
2: school i just watched that movie yeah th- that it times. saves a lot of
3: tuition money if mm-hmm. you just watch mm-hmm. the movie
1: people don't know that but you can become a lawyer just by watching Shh. that movie a few times um <laughs> in any event uh i have seen you know reports that it's actually illegal to take uh it to uh, foreign supporter to seek foreign um, uh, help with a U.S. political campaign, but let's set that aside for a second. So it is, Rosa, but the information
2: you... has to be of value.
1: Right. Huh. But but this is, as Susan suggests, just the sort of the tip of the iceberg. It's the first uh, story of this sort that we've seen. And by the way, folks, even as we are recording this episode, uh, the news came over the uh, uh, wires that Donald Trump Jr. has hired a lawyer.
3: Very wise.
1: Very wise. (laughs) Uh, But but it does seem to be uh, more concrete evidence of interaction with Russians that pertains to the campaign um, and suggests some kind of an affinity. And I think one of the things that we don't often discuss when people talk about this is the distinction between legal prosecution and impeachment. Now, I don't know that Republicans are going to move on this, but there could be a change in the Congress in in 2018. Uh, you don't actually need to break the law to get impeached, do you?
3: No, I mean impeachment uh, uh, is essentially, as 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 the Supreme Court has said, it's a it's a political remedy. Uh, it's essentially up to Congress to determine what they regard uh as a high crime or misdemeanor and and as we have seen throughout our history uh different congresses have had different threshold levels for what what kind of uh bad behavior counts um at the end of the day if congress uh votes to impeach there is no remedy there is no court of appeals you can't go to the supreme court and say well that wasn't bad enough or it wasn't illegal enough it's it is uh essentially up to Congress to decide. I, I, I do think though, I mean David, I'm I'm not sure there's much value in talking about impeachment given that it is uh you know as as Trump himself said on the campaign trail, I could I could I could shoot someone down on Fifth Avenue, it wouldn't make a difference to to my constituents. Uh, and I think it is turning out that, with regard to Republicans in congress he's he's pretty much right i'm I'm having trouble imagining what level of uh overt crime or malfeasance would lead Republicans in Congress to move towards impeachment i I can't think of anything anything much know the point. answer What is the answer what?
0: The answer is the level of malfeasance, illegality, or just tawdriness. That begins to make Republicans believe they will lose elections. Exactly. But,
3: but I would think that we have already crossed that threshold, uh, it would seem to oh me. God, and yet Robert, they're still clinging you know, to him.
0: I'm with you on that. I stopped counting during the primary at 11 things that should have prevented candidate Trump from getting the nomination. But, but so that's uh, what's, but, that's, that's what's but so I worrying, do, though. But it's I also mean, not <laughs> static, I mean, public attitudes aren't static on this. And it does look, as David pointed out a couple of podcasts ago, it does look like President Trump is losing even hardcore supporters. Um, And if people feel like he's creating lots of melodrama and producing results for them, I agree with you, Republicans will stay with him. But if he's creating lots of melodrama and not, solving their problems, which I think is the likelier outcome.
3: Well, and I, um, I guess, I guess, I mean, something that that I don't know, I, I have no insight whatsoever into the, and I'm sort of glad about this, into the minds of Republicans in Congress, um, uh, you know, at what point they think the mayhem and political fallout of impeaching one of their own, at least sort of kind of one of their own, uh, outweighs the mayhem and political fallout of not impeaching one of their own. Um, but but i i guess I guess I would just say that it doesn 't seem to me regrettably that we are anywhere close to that yet, uh, although I, I am always quite delighted as on a daily basis we do seem to see more uh, hardcore Republicans kind of peeling away from, from the so, president and trying to distance themselves so I think, when you also um, did
1: have the New York Times on Monday of this week run a front page where the lead story was about don jr 's meeting with this attorney who apparently had bad information about Hillary Clinton and, you know, with, with, by the way, Paul Manafort, et cetera, et cetera. But the next story over was a story about Mike Pence raising money quietly behind the scenes, which, you know, there really is no reason for a vice president to do that unless somebody's thinking about some other kind of outcome in the next couple of years. So it must be on somebody's mind, Right.
2: Yeah, so I think um, I completely agree with both Corey and Rosa that he uh, that Congress is the ultimate calculation here is whether or not Congress uh, Congress of the president's own party views him being in office as a bigger threat to their control of the Congress or their personal seats than then impeaching him, and that that's ultimately doesn't matter how many people you know uh, uh, want impeachment or even really what occurs externally. All that really matters is their own numbers and their perceptions of, of their the the personal risk. Um, I, I do think that. We haven't ever seen a serious consideration of impeachment where there hasn't been actual underlying statutory violation. So yes, theoretically they could impeach for anything. The historically, um, there there has been a need for at least some kind of underlying violation. Um, For deep state nerds that um, want to read up, um, they should the absolute best sort of thing that's that's really ever been written on impeachment is this. I think it's like 1976, 1977. Charles Blackworth, this great. Short book. It's like maybe fifty pages long, sixty pages long. It's called "Impeachment: A Handbook," um, and it just goes through every sort of
3: issue of impeachment. It's really um, like very readable. I, don't and don't so you think, though, Susan, that that if if the Republicans even today had a will to impeach, that they could point to with sufficient sufficient evidence to move forward. Uh, credibly to underlying statutory violations already?
2: Yes. Um, I actually think what might end up happening, which is why John Jr. and Jared Kushner's involvement is interesting, is that in the past, um, the way the president has managed to deal with some of the biggest scandals, the ones he really couldn't get out of, is by firing someone. Um, so firing Mike Flynn, uh, sort of clearly he didn't right. want to do that and his hand was
3: forced. But it's harder to fire his kid. Right. So Although I'm sure he could find a way.
2: Well, so I think eventually <laughs> you're going to run into somebody that. Tries Trump is um, not willing to fire, not willing to see indicted, um, and that that might be the point at which um, Republicans just yeah. uh, won't stand any further. I,
3: I do think, though, going going back for a moment just to what, if anything, does the latest round of revelations about Don Jr.'s meetings with, with shadowy Russian lawyers mean and so forth, I... You know, I think there's a line which I, I think is from Thomas Pynchon to the effect of the only thing more frightening than the existence of a conspiracy is that there is no conspiracy. Um, and I, I'm I'm a little torn on this myself because, uh, you know, part of me thinks, aha, perhaps there was a vast Trump campaign conspiracy to collude with the Russians to tilt the election. Uh, a larger part of me is inclined to think, no, this is the gang. This is the gang that can't shoot straight uh, but is extremely corrupt, that this is not a vast Trump campaign conspiracy. This is just further evidence that the Trump inner circle, including family members of Trump, are so clueless and so blinded by dollar signs or or, uh, or the foreign equivalents thereof uh, that they – didn't even occur to them that there was anything problematic about meeting with Russians. And they would have happily met with anybody who offered them dirt on Hillary Clinton and or anybody who offered them lucrative business deals, you know, because they don't care that it's not a conspiracy to help Russia specifically because they don't know anything about Russia other than if there are dollar signs attached to it.
0: I think Rose is well, exactly right. I I wow. have – deep and profound doubts that President Trump or anyone around him either has the, um, either has the intelligence or the self-discipline to be, to run a vast web of criminal conspiracy. I am in fact, once again, grieving that Elmore Leonard is dead because that great crime writer, who. Whose criminals always get caught up? Who always think they're geniuses and get caught up because they're idiots? Would would be relishing this plot line?
1: Yeah, well, you got to see the pictures on the internet. Go look them up of the guy who brokered the meeting, who looks like you know was <laughs> he was played
2: looks like, a it's like from
1: yeah. Central Captain. He, <laughs> he looks like he was played by sort of Danny DeVito's sort of you know not so attractive cousin. <laughs>
3: Right. and and
1: I'm supposed to be the famously (laughs) attractive Danny DeVito. Exactly. But it all circles around this kind of uh, 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 Miss Universe connection that led to it. And one of the characters in it is a sort of second-rate Russian singer. And then his father is a corrupt Paul. And, you know, one of the beautiful touches that I'm even getting off the Internet as, as we're going along here is that the lawyer that Don Jr., has hired, is a graduate of the Juilliard School, and is the bass trombonist of the Park Avenue Chamber Symphony. Which, <laughs> <that's> like... <laughs>
3: See? Elmore Leonard would <laughs> okay. love that! that that's, that's very that's, high culture. I'm, I'm impressed. I didn't know the Trump but family I was just, went for high just culture. That's just what I was thinking.
1: <laughs> There's so many weird characters in this. This movie is going to have so many people in it. Now, Susan, what I'd like you to do is play to the fantasies of the deep state radio nerds that are out there. Based on what we've seen so far, we have Mueller out there. He's doing investigating. We have the Don meetings. We have the Don Jr. meetings. We've got the Mike Flynn meetings. Uh, we have the pattern of obstruction of justice um, with regard to firing Sally Yates and firing Preet Barrar and firing... Um, uh, 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 you, uh Jim I'm, Comey. I'm, I'm, Jim Comey, exactly. <laughs> um, that guy. Thank you, that guy, and and so on. You know, we we sort of see this. How does this unfold? Just you know, you, you're sitting at home. You're making yourself. A sandwich. You're playing with your pet lemur, and you think, "I wonder how this is going to go over the next few months."
2: Like right, How's like it, so. Just what? it's all going to be fine. He's going to get impeached. We're we're going to emerge from this with like a strong unitary executive, um, and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, right, unless
1: I'm, you're unless you're a gay person who wants a wedding cake because President Pence isn't going to let that happen. That's true. But, so I hate <laughs>
0: to elbow in on Rosa's title. Of you know, uh, wearing the the crown of thorns of the apocalypse, but I can imagine an even worse outcome that has been so far stated, and that is um, that is President Trump getting impeached, uh, all of us getting an. Avalanche of tawdriness and criminality raining down on our heads and then having the Congress not convict him or not remove him from office.
2: Right. So, um, Corey, for for the non-legal nerds of the deep state community, um, the House votes to impeach, but then the Senate has to vote in order to convict him. Um, And even no matter what your electoral maps, how rosy and optimistic it looks like, um, you will not have you, you need Republicans to decide to convict him to remove him from office. I, I think that's plausible. I don't know that that's the worst case scenario. I mean, look, we're we're in crazy times. Let's talk about a worst case scenario where he gets impeached and removed from office and doesn't recognize the decision he to remove him believe. from office. Or he doesn't recognize And the future presidents Court for generations decisions. to come have
3: to hold their meetings in the Oval Office with Trump still sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's sulky. It, <laughs> it's sulky. Well played, it's like,
2: Rosa.
1: It's like in the movie Psycho. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> Look, I,
2: I think I think what's going to end up happening is he is going to leave the American presidency so denuded, so weak. And we see this already in in this in the uh, judicial decisions regarding the travel ban, really where, where the courts are just not willing to be deferential even on national security matters. Um, you know, we, we see the courts really, really struggling like with this. You know, this morning, um, President Trump tweeted that uh. James call me leaked classified information so illegal um, you know that is libel um, if anybody else says it but we have this thing called Fitzgerald immunity where the president uh, you know is is immune you know it, it actually really opens up questions about whether or not that's true for Trump's personal Twitter feed and so, so
3: he I don't could know, though alter. I, I'm gonna disagree with you I think a little bit here Susan because maybe this is a good thing right in the long run again this you know predicated On our collective survival of the next three and a half years. uh, Maybe it's actually a silver lining if this somewhat weakens the American presidency. Uh, And we've already talked in other podcast episodes about maybe it's a good thing if this pushes other allies to step up to the plate, as in some ways it seems to be doing. And we end up with the U.S. playing a less central role, but that's okay if the others who fill the vacuum are, are allies of the United States, and B, maybe domestically, I think we've all seen a decades-long drift towards greater executive power and a reduction of the congressional oversight role in all kinds of ways. If this is a wake-up call to the American people, to the courts, and to Congress, that Congress and the courts need to be more serious about uh, not accepting open-ended claims of executive power, maybe that's a good thing in the long run. Yeah,
2: but I, I think... I think this sort of—I think this is a fantasy—the notion that like the the pendulum re- swings back to sort of the perfect place and it's the end of kind of the imperial presidency and 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 we're back to um to Congress and the courts fulfilling their their proper function. Well, I wouldn't I think go we're that gonna far. See, right, <laughs> if the pendulum does swing, it's it's going to be into overreach. And and I think the sort of the response to maybe that's not such a bad thing is that like you know the U.S. Constitution is a pretty cool document. It's served us pretty well thus far, and that we are we are willing to think about it and think about some of its core principles and, and things that really are, are sources of fundamental sources of American power um and and success and, and our the ability to project our values and vision into the world, we're starting to think about those things as a as a bad thing. And I even post Trump, I don't know that we will be able to regain that particularly easily, and and that does as much as i, I do agree right that we have a, we have an overreach especially on national security stuff i I think it's occurring in a much broader way that is is more disturbing
1: well, let me pose a different scenario in all of this, and that is that because every reporter in America who doesn't work for Fox News is trying to come up with more information and because Mueller is trying to come up with information and because there's some state attorney generals trying to come up with some more information, there's going to be more stories breaking on this over the course of the next several months, possibly over the course of the next several years. And there'll be stories about ethics violations somehow lost in this whole discussion we're having here is the remarkable fact that the head of the Office of Government Ethics quit last week Because he felt that the atmosphere created by the Trump administration was, you know, odious and and made it impossible to do his job. But so there'll be ethics issues and maybe foreign corrupt practices issues and there'll be campaign issues with regard to Russia and so forth. And as each one piles up, it becomes harder and harder for the president to get anything done, harder and harder for the Congress to talk about anything else, harder and harder for the media to talk about anything else. And Kim Jong-un is building a missile that can reach the U.S. and in the next couple of years gets there. And Kim Jong-un is trying to get to 50 warheads so that it's hard to destroy them all because he keeps them mobile. And in the next couple of years, he gets there. And... Trump is getting a little itchy and the Iranians start provoking him because they've been empowered by their win in Syria and so on and so forth. And the Chinese start flexing their muscles away. And and, in other words, we get paralysis here as a result of it. We don't get the satisfaction of a Trump trial, impeachment, getting kicked out. And um, the world goes to hell in a handbasket. Is that far fetched? Corey?
3: Corey, world going to hell in a handbasket. Come on, Miss Optimism. That's that's all you (laughs) coming in.
2: Otherwise, Uh, I'm just going to have to to dunk on it.
0: I am hesitant to say (laughs) that it's likely because I do think both our domestic institutions, our domestic civil society are strong buffers against it. And I do do think that the international order is more um, resilient against those kinds of challenges. I think the North Korean example is the most interesting one, because if I were North Korea, I would be doing exactly what they are doing, which is not leave yourself in the most vulnerable position, which is be halfway. To a nuclear weapon that can attack the United States. You want to get yourself all the way there as fast as you possibly can. Um, And it would be wonderful if it were possible to do that without provoking the United States into a war. And I believe it is possible for them to get there without provoking the United States into the war, which takes me back to the resilience of the international system, because I think the fundamental constraint on the Iraq, on the North Korea problem is the vulnerability of South Korea, and I don't think even the Trump administration could find a way to make itself feel unconstrained by that. So I I think slow accretion of greater risk is more likely than dramatic flaring up of crisis.
1: Well, that's why Corey but is accretion the permanent of risk holder. Is
0: bad enough.
1: Yeah, but that's why you're the permanent holder of the tiara of optimism. (laughs) Um, let's, Let's turn to the two Cassandras locked beneath the Ministry of SNARK in our dungeon studio and see if you have slightly different takes. What could be the consequences of paralysis in Washington as far as international threats go?
2: I mean, look, so in its starkest terms, um, uh, really, really terrible problems will get worse. Um, And and a lot of people will, a lot of people who are already in um, terribly difficult situations will uh, face sort of unspeakable suffering. Um, You know, beyond that, uh, uh, reputation takes a very long time to build and not very long to destroy. And so, you know, even if we're only... Three years from now, um, then the notion, and, and we bring somebody else in, uh, the hill we will have to climb in order to restore America's place in the world is, uh, you know, th- this is a different world now. And, and whether or not we will ever
3: be able to restore our place, I, it seems... Far-fetched. So okay, I, I have. I, it's painful to me to do this, but I, I'm going to have to be more optimistic for just a, just a moment. I, I I think that we do get chances to to start again. I, I think that we saw that when Barack Obama was elected. Uh, I think that having having damaged a fair number of alliance relationships, uh, that the particularly obviously in its first four years uh, in the White House, that the Uh, uh, that President Obama was greeted with an outpouring of goodwill around the globe. He squandered much of that goodwill. Um, But I think that Trump is so bad that any reasonably sane president from either party will, in fact, uh, probably not Mike Pence, actually, because I think he's too closely associated with Trump. but But I think that you know any credible Republican or Democrat who comes in four years from now, w- that would be soon enough for that person to be greeted with relief and open arms on the international stage. So I don't, I don't think three and a half years. You know, unless something catastrophic happens, which it could. Um, but if it doesn't, you know, if there isn't a war between the Koreas, you know, if there isn't a you know catastrophic further Russian. Uh, uh, muscle flexing in some way. If there isn't, you know, major uptick in in terrorism in the West and in the United States and elsewhere, you know, I, I actually think three and a half years is is not too long a time for a pretty substantial self correction. Um, thank goodness for that. I, I, I think that uh, you know part of what part part of what we are seeing is that the rest of the world does not want the U.S. to stop being a leader. Um, And I think that we we will probably get another chance if we don't completely screw screw the pooch in the meantime. Well, you know,
1: first. And by the way, I find it distasteful for the owner of Rosenbrook's dog. Oh, God, I didn't say that.
3: Ah! David. (laughs) That's a metaphor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, You tell your dog that. But in any event, my dog, um, my
3: dog will not be listening to this. This trash. Really?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I was trying to comfort a group of people over the weekend who are depressed by the fact that everybody else seems to be taking over for the U.S. and the U.S. seems to be retreating. And I said, look, you know, there's a lot of evidence that shows that countries can fall from power and regain it, all of which has happened, you know, in the past week. Because, you know, you look at the G20 meeting or the G19 plus one meeting and Germany stepped up to lead, France stepped up to lead, Japan stepped up to lead, uh, Russia stepped up to lead and China stepped up to lead. Well. Germany was destroyed in the Second World War, as was Japan, and here we are seven years later. They're doing fine. They're getting more and more power all the time. France wasn't really a major player in the world since the 18th century. They're recovering. Um, uh, Russia, of course, lost the Cold War only 25 years ago, and here they are gaining an in influence. And China, which was the number one economy in the world um, until 1835, um, is you know within a few years of becoming the number one economy in the world again so even if you take the worst of those cases that of China uh if we wait 180 years we've got a shot at it that feels good right yeah. do I get the tiara of optimism is, that is
3: but the blink of an eye you do David you get the tiara of
0: optimism
1: <laughs> yeah I always wanted that although maybe I'll stick with my sandwich but the 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 point of all this, though, I think the serious point is how much damage can be done to U.S. leadership if Trump serves out his term?
3: Oh, infinite damage can be done. Yes, I'm I'm just going with probabilistic how much damage will be done and and thinking that we still have a a decent shot at at, uh, damage that can be repaired.
1: Well, we'll give give me some likely cases. Give some examples of how— permanent, difficult-to-reverse damage could be done.
3: <laughs> you don't want to get me started. Undercutting Can we go back to global nuclear war? Undercutting belief
0: <laughs> in the validity of our elections, in the honesty of the press, um, in the, like, everywhere you turn, he, he's a wrecking ball of confident of of lack of confidence in our public institutions, in the norms, not just of our governance, of our society, right? Like the notion that his daughter is the person to put in the seat when he gets up at the G20 meeting does damage not just to to the belief that, you know, you ought actually to be qualified for high government positions and accountable. Um, in those positions. It also diminishes the G20 and how other leaders who do business there think about doing business with us. So I'm with Rosa. The the damage is potentially unlimited.
1: Give me an example, Susan, of something you're worried about. (laughs)
2: I mean, my my worries are so specific on on things like reversing position on on international law and you know re- establishing the kinds of uh, of precedents that become very very difficult to undo with just sort of the the flip of a new administration. Um, uh, you know, I I think the uh, y- the nightmare scenarios are the sort of the the traditional. Bounds in which we might think about worst case scenarios, I think, are, are really are gone and, and mm-hmm. gone in ways that are yeah. are frankly I- incredibly frightening. And, and I mean, like, I would be frightened if I lived in Seoul right now. I yes. would. Oh, I, I would be frightened. I'm if not a person who, who gets, you know, like, sort of is, is uh, entertains that fear mongering too much, but uh, but I would be afraid. And so I do think that sort of we we removed those guardrails. I also think once an institution has failed and once But once institutional protections have failed, um, you've proved that those institutional protections have failed. And so the ability to have faith in them moving forward is just – no, it's not possible to to view these things in the same way. And so as our allies are looking at the United States, looking at metrics of accountability, um, uh, sort of belief in the United States rule of law, I, I, I do fear that, you know, there's not – that's not something that you can um, – you can just sort of come back in and uh, and and repair with a, with a new leader, even even though I do agree that there there will be um, tremendous hunger from our allies to repair those relationships. Um, you know, I, I also worry about the damage that can be done just by sort of thoughtlessness. Um, so Congress passed this really stupid law about a year ago. It's called Jasta Jatsa, I think it's is the acronym. Sort of um, it, it imposes. Uh, uh, it, it lifts sovereign. Immunity for 9/11 victims. It's the kind of thing that that really seems like a no big deal thing, but is actually a really really terrible idea that puts us in a, in a terrible position. Um, to sort of have these retaliatory measures being taken by by foreign countries, and and I I, I could see Trump um, not recognizing the reason why we constrain ourselves in all kinds of different ways because we want other people to constrain their themselves, um, and that by by pulling off our own constraints, we are. Are inviting everybody else to do the same, and then that could have cascading consequences in, in lots of different, um, frankly unforeseen and unforeseeable ways. And so that's my sort of that's my nightmare scenario.
1: Well, that's not a that's not a good scenario. But you know, we've we've covered a bunch of them here, and I think the general consensus—I don't want to put words in your mouth—is that. Trump's likely to have some trouble. He's likely to damage the presidency. He's likely to damage Americans' perceptions of governance. He's likely to damage America's standing in the world. There are a lot of world leaders that are willing to stand up and go after America's leadership position now, whether it's little guys like Kim Jong-un or whether it's the Chinese or the Germans feeling some responsibility to step up or some opportunity. But here's what's interesting to me. If you ask me to name who the leader of the Democratic Party was or who the likely person to lead the charge against Trump is on the Democratic Party or who the conscience of the Republican Party is and who the likely person to lead that charge is, I'd be pretty hard pressed to give you a name. Maybe Ben Sass and the Republican Party. What's going on? Everybody in the world realizes this is a problem except America's political leaders. Where? How do we get here?
2: I mean, but look, we've seen some glimmers of sort of hope in the Republican Party. You know, Ben Sasse's one, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, and others. I mean, there there have been; they've all had their moments. I'm, I'm rolling
3: my eyes at Susan.
2: Look, not um, not with they've had their moments. Yes, not with yes. not with utter consistency, but they all have had their moments. Um,
3: They're also all like a hundred years
2: old. It, look, my, my concern is more um, – and the thing that, that worries me is more I don't see the sort of
3: Democratic leadership. No, um, The agree. Republicans are sort of in such disarray right now yeah. that uh, – It's masked the disarray in the, on the Democratic side. But I, I, I think that the, the, the leadership void and the uh, creativity and inspiration and charisma void on the Republican side uh, is only exceeded by the same void on the Democratic side. Yeah,
2: and and frankly, a lack of shared vision. I mean, as much as the fractures within the Republican Party are on um, sort of full display, you know, similar undercurrents actually run within the Democratic Party as well. We saw a little bit of this during the primary, sort of the Bernie bros versus the Hillary types. Um, But that's, uh, you know, that is, there's also something festering there. Um, And, you know, whenever sort of the, the populist turned authoritarian gets elected in other places... Um, he usually gets elected again um, and he gets elected again after long periods of time of people saying, well, he'll never get elected again and assuming he won't get elected again. And and I think we should all be operating with the assumption that Trump will probably get elected again and, and he's going to get elected again unless we see real political leadership here, that the idea that he's just going to burn himself out and take care of, the, you know, he's going to take care of the problem by being so terrible. I, I think that's naive and dangerous and 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 I have not seen leadership from either party that, that sort of is is approaching the problem with with some understanding that, you know, this guy is not just gonna go away.
1: Corey, this is making me literally feel vaguely nauseous.
2: <laughs> Corey could run. Yeah. You know. As she'd to be quote, a great
0: I am having this same reaction, David. I wish, I, I fervently hope, and am willing to actively work for any Republican candidate who will primary this sitting Republican president. Um, I believe John Kasich will do that. I very much hope others will do it. And I would love to see Donald Trump removed from office electorally by by another Republican more suited to the office of Chief Executive and Commander-in-Chief elected, and elected by Republicans. I think that would be a brilliant, beautiful outcome, but I agree with Susan that well, it is profoundly unlikely Yeah, I didn't expect but you to are... go those
1: last
3: two yards with me, Rosa. <laughs> but
1: I, I don't, I don't know whether like it's
3: a time We're just going to go back. Romney's been to president to like maybe Abraham Lincoln.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, well, but look, I mean, I think I don't know. Does that miss? Maybe one of you disagree with me. It sounds like you agree. On the Republican side, you might say Kasich, or you might say Ben Sasse. Um I mean, John McCain and Lindsey Graham are not going to be the next candidate for president, but but those guys might be. There's there's some little life there. On the Democratic side, it's 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 like a bunch of has-beens and a bunch of never will be's debating, you know, the, the 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 future, and 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 no real sort of stirring of hope. And, well, and this, I, I don't know, you know if we know should yet. should be the it moment. Is,
3: it is still early. And I, I'm remembering back, remember, in the 1992 presidential campaign, the Democratic field, which included, of course, Bill Clinton, uh, was supposed to referred to at the time as the Seven Dwarves uh, because none of them had any national profile or was taken particularly seriously. Um, you know, and Bill Clinton, whatever one might say about him, and there are plenty of negative things to say about Bill Clinton – Eventually emerged as a surprisingly charismatic candidate, right? And he remains weirdly popular even today, um, and getting more popular all the time. But that, of course, is just in reaction to Donald Trump. So, so I, I, I'm not yet willing to say that just because there are no obvious uh, choices that we won't see people emerging. I mean, I do think that we see some, you know, interesting jockeying among some of the younger Republicans in in the Senate and the House. Uh, you know, people like uh, Cory Booker and Chris Murphy and, um, you know, we'll see what comes out of that. It may be nothing. But, but, but while, I, while I am absolutely in agreement that the uh, Democratic side is, is looking pretty dismal right at this moment, I, I haven't completely given up on the possibility that that's going to change in the next couple of years.
2: I agree. There, there are definitely good candidates, sort of possible candidates. The question is just who is sort of, is going to have the interest of stepping up. I mean, you know, Adam Schiff is starting to build a national profile. He is a very, very serious, uh, uh, you know, member of Congress. So I I agree. There, there is a talent pool there. It's just, you know, definitely Adam Schiff is actually going to be smart enough to use it.
1: Well, no, Adam Schiff is definitely the deep state nerd choice, right? He is like the (laughs) nerdiest. But he's a, v- he's a vegan and i just yeah, I, I, think I think he would a be a america great president, is not ready for a vegan but i don't know
2: that america is ready for a vegan yeah
1: i don't know if america well that's another <laughs> consider a burger representative
0: candidacy by leaking that to the public and it was
3: classified <laughs> is he really yeah. a vegan? Well,
1: yeah, huh. yeah but that's interesting that, I, I mean people LA, are going to look back get away with it People are going to look back on this episode and go, that was the moment I learned that Adam Schiff is a vegan. And See, I lost all Bill hope
3: Clinton, in a Democratic recession. Don't say never Bill, taught you anything.
1: <laughs> isn't Bill Clinton now a vegetarian? I, I, well, is Cory Booker
3: he, a vegetarian? Cory Booker might also be a vegetarian. Oh These God. guys have got to work on this. This is the problem. This yeah. is why.
1: This is, this is really – yeah. I, I am have not a, Have a piece of Despite steak. my heritage, I'm telling you right now, I will not vote for a president who does not eat bacon. I'm just sorry. I'm not. Um, yeah. You know.
3: Wait, but vegans so, can eat bacon, right? Vegan, of course they can eat, bacon. <laughs> can eat bacon. I mean, if yeah, Jews and Muslims can eat bacon, I don't see why vegans can't eat bacon. P- Pork ridiculous. is a vegetable.
1: <laughs> Pork is a vegetable. Yeah. Well, turkey bacon. At least turkey bacon. Okay. Turkey you know, bacon I'm is to yucky make-
3: and does not count.
1: Now I'm willing to make an exception Ugh. for people with religious problems with the other kind of bacon but you got to eat some kind of bacon and that's a meat. The vegetarian bacon does not count. That is like like it's the disgusting. inside of a sneaker. It's disgusting. It's not hmm. it's not acceptable. And you know, and deep state radio nerds if you're listening and you want to make a defense of vegetarian bacon, just stop listening to us. We don't want you, okay?
3: <laughs> My children won't eat bacon for aesthetic reasons because they think p- pigs are sort of adorable and pink and fluffy and feminine somehow. They got this to idea from movies. Out of yeah.
1: Well, then there's, there's Charlotte's Web. I'm sure you've read yeah. them, Charlotte's Web. And then no, Charlotte no, writes no, some it's the
0: Muppet show she's talking about. <laughs> Army? Well,
1: that is it. A... <laughs> wow. Wow, we haven't really gotten into the impressions part of this <laughs> Deep state radio, but 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 folks, <laughs> tune, in ah! in uh, tune in in the future. Tune in in the yeah, that's true. We have had that. Tune in in the future. We will do, and it's it's incredible. Uh, Susan Hennessy does a Sia impression that you know, is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Spot um, on. At uh, spot on, and when you hear Corey Shockey's Rob Kardashian impression. Going after Black China in that way, Fan... Corey has Corey's no
2: like...
3: idea what you're talking about right now.
1: But I don't
2: have any no idea, idea. What you're talking yeah. about either. David. She's
3: like, she, "Is that a singer?" I'm, Out of really loyalty don't. to Corey, I have no idea what you're talking about. David, I get it. I'm with you. Yeah, I get it. you guys are yeah, so. Oh, wait,
1: wait, wait! Are, Wasn't you- he
0: the Commerce Secretary in Millard <laughs> Fillmore's administration? <laughs> right.
1: Yes, he was. I can't do Black that impression. China Yeah, no, he was... Rob Kardashian was the Commerce Secretary in Black China. It was a whole scandal. But anyway, uh, if you want to write in and talk about the Fillmore administration's Black China scandal, go for it. I want to see how that turns out. Um, Anyway, (laughs) that's just the kind of thing we leave you with each week here at Deep State Radio. We hope you will be back next week for another exciting episode of Deep State Radio. I'd like to thank... Corey Shockey out there in sunny California uh, and in the deep state radio dungeon beneath the ministry of SNARK. Uh, Rosa Brooks, who has already tweeted out a defense for her comment about oh, yeah. screwing the pooch, <laughs> um, which I'm really, I'm really super impressed that in the middle of the episode, she's tweeting stuff. Mom, uh, hey, and what else am I going to do? Time, these she stories, has her these research long, slow moments as well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the owner of Susan Anisey's Lemur, Susan Hennessy of Lawfare Blog and Rational Security Podcast. Listen to one, read the other. You figure out which is which. We've enjoyed having you here. Please join us again soon. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright.